problem with a physical solution. And you're not wrong if that's where you're at right now. One big obvious part of this move is a physical one. We need more room. And we need it so that others may come to Fort William Baptist Church on Sunday mornings and we need it to make it not too overwhelming in the sanctuary. But this ambition is not solely rooted in this physical issue. Adding a second service goes far beyond the apparent physical needs that we have as a growing church. And this morning I want to dive into why this ambition has spiritual and scriptural significance for us. And so with that said, we really seek to answer one question. Why does adding a second service matter beyond just making sure we have enough space to gather? And the quick and short is this. We do this so that the ministry of the pew would thrive. But with that short answer comes some required digging, and I really want to flesh that out with two questions that will take up a good chunk of our time this morning. And so our first question is, what exactly is the ministry of the pew? And what does scripture say about it? And then our second question is, what does a healthy ministry of the pew look like? So let's flesh out in more detail what it is I'm talking about exactly. And the perfect place to start is our scripture this morning. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1007. And so we're starting where Inza finished off his sermon last week in verse 19. Hear the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. But how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, and sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partner with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, 
which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, reading your word and asking for understanding. Lord, would you bless the preaching and the teaching of your word this morning? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so we're trying to understand this morning what the ministry of the pew is. And I think before we do that, we need to ask an even simpler question, and it's this. Why do we gather on Sundays? The answer is simple, but it's challenging. We come to receive and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another way to put it, in step with our own church covenant, as Mike mentioned earlier, is we come to prize, praise, and proclaim the gospel. Every Sunday service, every ministry, every event, every worship song sung finds its ultimate end in the reception and the proclamation of the gospel. And I don't say this is challenging in the sense that it's hard to grasp. I do say that it's challenging because if we don't actively consider this before we come here this morning, Sunday services become diluted. They become nothing more than social gatherings, weekly rituals, something we do before we get on with the rest of the Sunday that we have laid out for ourselves. Where Sunday service should serve as a focal point of our week, a refuge and a chance to shoulder one another's burdens in Christ, without considering our reasons for being here, i.e. the gospel being received and proclaimed, we fail in doing any of these things well. The reality that we must be considering before we come here is the gospel. And so brothers and sisters, hear this this morning with clarity. There is a God, a mighty God who created everything, including ourselves, a God who establishes the laws of the universe, who makes the wind blow one way today and another way tomorrow. Do you really consider this day to day? You may know it with absolute certainty, you might have genuine faith, but how often are you considering it? I invite us all to step back from the minutia of our lives this morning and realize we are created people. The world around us is not arbitrary. Everything under the sun was created by God for his purposes and through his wisdom. There is a God. And he is sovereign whether or not we believe it. And we are subject to him. The world would have us believe that we are independent, that we are in complete control of our path, that whatever we decide to believe is manifestly true simply based on the fact that we believe it. But brothers and sisters, that couldn't be further from the truth. There is a God and we are his but from the earliest moments that our kind has existed, we've bought into that very same lie. Sin entered the world when we decided that we were our own gods, when we lost sight of who we really are, the creation of God made in his image for his glory. And so to this day, 
We're born into this world at enmity with God, our creator, and the whole of the Old Testament serves to show us how we have never, in and of ourselves, escaped the sin of trying to be our own gods. And time after time throughout all history, we come up short of the law and the standards that God has set before us. We don't have what it takes to be in good standing with our creator. And that is truly terrifying. In a created world, the father of all creation should be the only person we care about being in good standing with. And in our blindness and sin, he's often the last person we desire to be in good standing with. But here lies the good news this morning. God sees this and with incomprehensible grace sends his own son to take the form of a man. To live a life that none of us could possibly live and take punishment that we deserve. The debt, the ungratefulness, the selfish acts that we as a human race have amassed from the beginning of time to the present day and will far into the future have been wiped away by the blood of Christ. The wages of sin is death, and it is Christ who took on death so that we didn't have to. In Jesus, we can once again be made whole. We can live in harmony with God, our Creator and Father. I often frame it this way in small groups and in personal discussions with other believers. The absolute greatest consequence of your life, eternal separation from the Father, has been paid for by Christ. That is the gospel. And meditating on it daily changes how we live. There's a difference between knowledge and meditation. Meditating on it daily changes how we live. It changes how we interact with one another. And to the point of this sermon this morning, it changes a Sunday morning service. It's because of this that we gather here this morning. And so circling back to the main question that we're seeking to answer, if we gather to prize, praise, and proclaim the gospel, what is the ministry of the pew? And so looking back in our text this morning, Paul gives us a very nice and brief definition. If you had to coin it based on the words of Paul, the ministry of the pew is stirring one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet. And what Paul is talking about is not stirring one another up with a hug or a fun chat, although that certainly can be part of it. I'm not saying those things are off the table. But Paul is talking specifically about stirring one another up in the gospel. Love and good works flow from the gospel, and consequently we need to minister the gospel to one another to cultivate that. And we see this in the text too. What is Paul saying from verses 19 through 23? He's saying, since we have received the gospel, since we can go to God with confidence, let us stir one another up. In light of the gospel, stir one another up to love and good works. And so this morning, none of us escaped the call of the ministry of the pew. Last week, we talked about children's ministry and serving in children's ministry in that capacity as a gift from God But serving children isn't necessarily a gift that all of us are born with or that God gives us in due time. But the ministry of the pew is one such ministry that is for each and every Christian in this room. The job of a Sunday service is not exclusively to come and be served, but to be served and serve others in kind. 
you would be mistaken in thinking that the preaching of the gospel lies solely with the pastor on a Sunday morning. That's why we call it the ministry of the pew. Two ministries running in parallel, the ministry of the pulpit and the ministry of the pew, shouldering each other's burdens, welcoming new folks, and sharing the gospel with them. Priming our hearts in prayer and praise before we come together on Sunday will serve both of these ministries well. Dwelling on all that you have in Christ, actually actively considering it and praying over it, paired with good pulpit ministry is the life essence and fuel of the ministry of the pew. And so that answers our first question, what is the ministry of the pew? It is the ministry of stirring one another up to love and good works in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the natural follow-up question is, what does a healthy ministry of the pew look like in a church? And I want to tackle that question with two statements. And so they are as follows. Statement number one, a healthy ministry of the pew starts before the service and ends well after the service. Statement number two is this, a healthy ministry of the pew is willing to get vulnerable potentially uncomfortable and sacrificial. So let's work through these one at a time. I like them because they're simple and they are practical, but they are very effectual in strengthening this ministry. So number one, a healthy ministry of the pew starts before the service and ends well after the service. Some of you may have also heard the saying, come early, stay late. That's all one and the same thing that we're talking about. If you want the ministry of the pew to be healthy, or in other words, if you want genuine fellowship where deep connections are made, resulting in encouragement in Christ and furthering the gospel, you need to be here and it needs to be before and after the service when you're actually able to engage the people around you. You can't find success in this ministry while simultaneously showing up late and leaving immediately after the last song. And if I'm describing you, this isn't an attack on you, but it's a caution. You need to know that you are missing out on a vital part of church life. This isn't simply a message where my sentiment that I'm trying to convey is you must contribute, you're not doing enough. That's not it at all. What I'm saying is that you aren't seizing one of God's good gifts, fellowship with the body. Not only are you not seizing this gift, but should many people do the same as you, you take away the chance for others to minister to you. The ministry of the pew is a two-way street. This isn't a call for you to exclusively be the giver. It is also a call for you to fellowship and receive from other believers. Brothers and sisters, if you aren't coming early and staying late, simply put, you are missing part of the equation. And I get it, we have different life circumstances. I'm not calling out those who need to leave for various legitimate reasons, but I am calling all of us to understand what gifts you leave on the table when you don't come early and when you don't stay late. Your spiritual health is enhanced through God by way of the ministry of the pew, and you cheat yourself and others of its benefit when you aren't fellowshipping here with the body. So that's number one. A healthy ministry of the pew starts before the service and stays well after. Our second statement is this. A healthy ministry of the pew is willing to get vulnerable, potentially uncomfortable, and sacrificial. So if you've taken that first statement to heart, 
about coming early and staying late. You might find yourself at home this week praying that God would enable Pew Ministry the upcoming Sunday and you purpose to come early and stay late. But now what? You're here. What should you do? Well, fellowship takes many forms, but most of what you will take part of in a Sunday morning at church is conversation and prayer. So we need to talk and share our lives with one another. But a common pitfall that we can find ourselves in if we're not careful is having a dozen shallow conversations that make little to no impact on each other. Listen again to Paul's words. Verse 24, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If the ministry of the pew is to purpose to stir one another up to love and good works, how do you suppose it happens if all you ever talk about is the weather, commonalities that all of us have in our lives? And again, I'm not saying small talk is off the table. It is well and good. It has its place. But the heart of the ministry of the pew necessarily has to go deeper than this. If you want to stir one another up to love and good works, you're going to have to get vulnerable. Vulnerable in asking help and sharing in your struggles, but also vulnerable in sharing the gospel as well. And at times, depending on the situation, that could be downright uncomfortable. It means offering to pray for someone undergoing trials when you yourself find it hard or embarrassing to pray aloud. It means digging up painful parts of your life that God helped you through to help others through theirs. It means finding ways to practically help people throughout the week because on Sunday you took the time to get to know someone and you now know practically how you can serve that person. All of which will depend on your willingness to go to those places with people in conversation. And sometimes you will have to be the person who pushes to go there. And if you're on the receiving end, you will have to be the person who's willing to be taken to those places. Look at our text again. The epistle to the Hebrews that was written was written to Jewish Christians in the midst of much persecution. They were under so much persecution, in fact, that many considered returning back to Judaism. Paul urges them to persevere in two ways with the rest of our text. One way that he does this is to warn them of the judgment of God, warning them the judgment that will come from trampling underfoot the Son of God should they abandon the faith and return to Judaism. And the second way he urges them is reminding them of who Christ is and how the gospel gave them strength to endure persecutions when they first encountered them, when they first were given faith. And he finally reminds them that those in Christ are not ones who shrink back in the midst of persecution. Do you see what Paul is doing here? It may be a letter, it may not be face-to-face, it's not in a pew, But Paul is stirring them up. And it gets serious. Paul, out of love, is willing to go to the uncomfortable topic of God's judgment with them and sober them up to the situation and also reminds them and encourages them of their steadfastness when they first came to believe. We get this example of stirring one another up to love and good works immediately after receiving the call to it. And there's no mistake 
for Paul doing this, and it's an image for us of what it means to minister to each other when we gather. So practically speaking, it's going to be hard to do this with every single person that you see on a Sunday morning. So maybe ministry of the pew looks like this for you, practically speaking. You purpose to come and you're going to touch base with a handful of people and you're just going to see how their weeks went. Nothing out of the norm and and you'll probably share the same with them in return and that is well and good. But above that, you purpose to reach out to one person in particular, either someone you had in mind or someone you've never seen before and you're going to get vulnerable with them, potentially uncomfortable with them. You're going to purpose to stir them up to love and good works because you know what you have in Christ and you want them to have it too. Even simpler, a motto, if you will, I don't want to come early or stay late without having stirred someone up to love and good works in Christ this morning. Every week, having worshipped and received the preached word, I want to do that. And the funny part is, is it may be a struggle to force yourself out of your shell, but with time, these things become simple and they become a delight. Be uncomfortable for a time and reap the harvest of the ministry of the pew. It will become a joy to you that you had no idea was within arm's reach all along. Don't leave this gift of God on the table. So that's what the ministry of the pew is. And that's what a healthy one looks like. And so taking all of that, I want to go back to our ambitions. Why does adding a second identical service help to accomplish this? And what is the challenge for us as a congregation heading into the fall if we want to to meet this ambition well? We're a growing church. And adding capacity for us to gather, whether it be renovations relocation, whatever. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money and effort, far more than we can muster before September of this year. And so we run into an issue. If we want to continue the ministry of the pew, continue in making sure that it is healthy, speaking the gospel into the lives of new folks, new families, ourselves, we need to have room. And for many, walking into a church that is packed to the gills with people is an immediate anxiety and a red flag to turn around at the door. We better enable evangelism if we spread ourselves out a bit to two reasonably full services, allowing folks to wander in and feel comfortable. Additionally, it's easier to take on, it's easier to keep track of who is in the room and having two times that we can gather as well allows people with different schedules to also come and may not be able to have come for however many years it's been since we last did two services. A very distinct difference between having two services this upcoming fall versus how we as a church have done it in the past is the goal of having them be identical. In years past, if you had a young family or served in children's ministry on Sunday morning, that played a role in choosing which service you went to. Historically, our later service was the only one with childcare, which necessarily led to only certain demographics being able to go to whichever service worked for them best. But two identical services allow all people to come to whichever service works for them time-wise without losing access to different ministries. And so this is where the challenge comes in. 
Brad had these challenge cards that he brought up for children's ministry. And this morning we have cards that look like this. They should be kind of scattered every couple of seats today. And we have a challenge for us this morning for this ministry as we initiate having two services. And it's, it's very simple. We're not looking for multiple positions or anything. It's a, it's a relatively simple idea to understand. And it's this. We are looking for people to commit in the fall to attending both services on a Sunday morning twice a month. So that doesn't mean coming to church twice a month. That means coming to church every week. But two out of four weeks per month, you're going to come for the 9 a.m. service and you're going to attend the 10.45 a.m. service and you will purpose to fellowship with people and engage in the ministry of the pew. We want to start having two services strongly with both being full, relatively full, I should say. There is no benefit to having two services if one is going to languish while the other one remains overcrowded. So in step with ensuring the ministry of the pew is healthy, we need people in the pews at the onset. And this is a challenge to dedicate more of your time. But it's also a challenge to embrace and engage in the ministry of the pew. It's not a challenge just to come and fill a seat. It isn't for optics so that people think we're super busy. It's so that we as a church can assure that those attending each service are being stirred up to love and good works. The two services must be equally yoked for our ambition to be met well come fall. And on top of our particular challenge this morning, there are many other needs that have to be filled by way of having two services. Children's ministry needs lots of folks, and we've previously talked about that. But teams like the welcome team, the worship team, the audiovisual team will need more volunteers as well to adapt to this format. So please consider all of our Sunday morning ministries. If you have questions about any of that, please chat with the folks at the back. Consider the ministry of the pew, serving our children, the welcome team, the worship team. If you feel led to help in any of these ways, I encourage you to be bold and throw your hat in the ring. So that's our challenge this morning. Consider dedicating two of your four Sundays per month to the ministry of the pew in both services. Engage and stir your fellow brothers and sisters up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet. Get vulnerable. Be refreshed in the gospel and refresh others by way of the gospel in kind. Leave on Sunday having seized the gift of God that is the ministry of the pew. It is your calling in Christ, and it will be a balm to your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these words from Paul. Lord, it is easy to fall into our own habits and have our own things that we seek to accomplish when we come to church on Sunday. But Lord, your calling in the gospel is not just to come and hear it, but we are to take it and we are to spread it. Lord, we have the ministry of the pew before us this morning as a subject, and we ask, would you strengthen it here at Fort William Baptist Church? 
would we be fearless, willing to be vulnerable with our brothers and sisters and folks that have never been here before. Lord, give us courage to share our own struggles. Lord, may you help us in this way. Would you bolster this ministry? We thank you for Christ. We thank you that we have your spirit. Lord, all of this is for naught if it is not done by you. And so, Lord, we thank you that you give us the Spirit freely. We thank you for the gospel. Would you enable the ministry of the pew? Would you enable these ambitions come fall? Lord, we don't do this simply to grow. Growth in and of itself is not the point. Lord, we seek to spread the gospel in every way we can. And so, Lord, would you work in our church to that end? Lord, we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.